1: to another week on The Catholic Toolbox, The Art of Practical Catholicism. I'm your host and founder, George Manassa, here as we equip you with practical solutions to live the Catholic faith in our modern world today. If you enjoy listening to the show, don't forget to join our family by subscribing and joining our subscription list on Show.com. We're joined this week by a very special guest, and we sincerely apologise for the technical delay because we're all working from home. We're still in Sydney lockdown for those uh, around the world who are tuning in, and uh, we're inundated with messages at the moment for the 30-minute delay. But we absolutely apologise. There will be no break, um, and we'll go through with the actual episode. I'd like to welcome His Excellency Bishop Athanasius Schneider, who is um, who is the ex- uh, who is the auxiliary of, in Kazakhstan for the Diocese of Astana. Welcome aboard, Your Excellency. Thank you for being with us. Yes. Thank you very much for being with us. Uh, here, We're here to discuss tonight a very important topic, something which has undoubtedly um, undoubtedly, caused shockwaves in the Catholic world. <coughs> that is, traditionis Custodis. But first I want to start off by asking you, Your Excellency, to please introduce yourself to everybody, uh, a little bit about yourself before we start.
2: Uh, It is a joy for me to speak to you, to the Catholics in Australia. I want to encourage all of you to continue to to keep your faith and your love for the Catholic faith. I remember my visit, which I made a couple of years ago in Australia, and I was edified by so many good priests and lay people. And so this is my greeting and a message to you. And this evening.
1: Yes, thank you very much. Uh, and uh, I, I do remember very well. Uh, it was a time, <clears throat> and I have that photo uh, with you. I remember uh, in the year twenty fifteen when you visited us here at Maternal Heart of Mary uh, Church, and you celebrated upon typical mass uh, from the food stall. I remember that very clearly. And and your 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 beautiful words uh, at the Australian Catholic Students Association. Uh, here in Australia, uh, during that time, it was a very important time uh, where you answered many students' concerns about, you know, the, what's going on in the church. A lot of the politics that's happening now at the moment, and we we really we really appreciate great bishops like yourself who have the courage to contradict. It's it's very hard today to find bishops who have the courage to contradict and stand up even against higher authorities. And uh, though we have to respect uh, the higher authorities in the church, there is a limit of acceptance and obedience. And I'm sure we'll talk about that a little bit more, but let's get straight into the topic. What was your first reaction, Your Excellency, when you heard about Traditiones Custodis holistically? Well, it was, of
2: course, I was very sad because Uh, This could be only the only reaction of every good Catholic who loves uh, the tradition and who loves uh, the liturgy of all the saints, whom we know, and our ancestors, all they participated in this form of the Holy Liturgy. And now to be restricted in such a drastic manner, uh, it causes sadness, of course, But at the same time, I was filled with the conviction that even these drastic measures from Pope Francis will not be able to to limit the growth of the traditional liturgy. Why? Because the growth of the traditional liturgy is a work of the Holy Spirit. And you cannot fight against the Holy Spirit. It is dangerous when a Pope and a Bishop start to fight against the work of the Holy Spirit in the church. Because we know uh, in the last decades, uh, the traditional uh, liturgy was spreading and growing peacefully almost organically, and so it is a demonstration that this is a treasure of the church and it may be now currently it is suppressed in some way by administrative um, actions, but it will remain. It will grow slowly. Nevertheless, this is my conviction.
1: Because what shocked many young Catholics who had come back to the faith in many instances through the traditional liturgy, it came to us as a great shock where many people who hadn't attended Mass before discovered this new rite and saw the faith from a different perspective through the traditional liturgy. And I want to discuss, do you have any concerns for the faith in and of itself in the future of the faith itself because of the marginalization of the traditional liturgy. Yes, it
2: is evident that the traditional liturgy is expressing uh, the Catholic truth in a fuller, in a more perfect manner, especially the central um, truth of the sacrifice of Christ on the cross, which in the Holy Mass we are celebrating in sacramental form. And in the traditional liturgy, all the details, even all the words are expressing in a more perfect manner, these truths of the reality of the sacrifice of the cross by whom we are saved and which is uh, realized, actualized, actualized sacramentally in every Holy Mass. So we see uh, the Catholic truths are expressed in a fuller manner in the traditional form of the liturgy. This is evident. And therefore, we have to ask that the the Novus Ordo, the new liturgy, um, take these elements of the traditional Mass evermore incorporate, ex- exactly to express more clearly the
1: th- Catholic truth. So you have concerns in and of itself, the lex orandi, lex credendi itself in, in the new liturgy, perhaps the faith isn't manifested clearly on many occasions, and could it be that the Holy Father himself? May not have been exposed to positive attitudes from the traditional element. We're just getting into the head of the Holy Father at the moment. What do you think? Sorry, drives, drives um, his his attitude and outlook towards the traditional liturgy.
2: I don't know what was his mind, uh, but the general attitude of the bishops who are rejecting the traditional liturgy, it's uh, oftentimes caused by um, a defective meaning of the the mass. So uh, they stress too much the the meal aspect. And so this is Protestant tendency and they like such an informal or gathering. Uh, And this is the tendency of so many um, clergy, why they are rejecting the traditional Mass, because the traditional Mass is expressing in a more fuller manner, very expressively, these central truths that the Holy Mass is substantially, essentially, the sacrifice of the cross itself. And then all the gestures to venerate God, uh, the awe, the respect, and so on, it creates an, an, another atmosphere. But today, uh, I mean, the last decades, it was a tendency in the church, an anthropocentrism. So it's, it's a concentration on man, and horizontal, horizontal, so it is this different attitude. And therefore, I think this could be a reason uh, below, be behind these uh, decisions.
1: Because, uh, do you, so do you think that the uh, so where does this leave the novus auto liturgy that we have now to deal with it because there isn't a doubt the second vatican council has codified this liturgy that we use now at the moment what's your perspective on the novus order liturgy should we take the approach of uh Per-Benedict the benedict the sixteenths Pont- 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 <laughs> form of the reform mindset where we try to reform the new liturgy to co- coexist with both, or do you believe they're incompatible in the life of the church, or should should we uh, should we take another approach? What's your take on harmonising both liturgies with each other, uh, if that can be the case? I think
2: that by time, step by step, the Novus Ordo should incorporate the the central elements of the traditional liturgy. First, the celebration ad orientem, towards God. Then, of course, it is indispensable to abolish the new offertory prayers. They are contrary to the tradition of the church. They are Jewish uh, meal uh, prayers. Uh, this, is, this is very dangerous Wacky, and in, in introducing another meaning of the Holy Mass. This we have to abolish at first, I think, the new offertory prayers and to to take the old ones in the Novus Ordo, to take the old offertory prayers. And then the next step would be to to keep only the one Eucharistic prayer, the canon, the Roman canon for the mass, or also in the Novus Ordo, so they will be closer So will we have more unity and uh, firm expression, clear expression of the tradition, of the constant tradition of the Catholic Church, the Roman Rite. I think this, and then of course to uh, step by step to introduce that Holy Communion should be given only on the tongue and kneeling all over the world in all Novus order masses. And so on this, I consider consider the main elements which must be introduced in the Novus Ordo. And I believe firmly they will be introduced after some time because the church is divine. Now we are living in a darkness, the persecution of the true faith, the diminution of the true faith, also in the liturgy. But this time will pass. This is only a temporal phenomenon in the history of the church. We are living in a kind of maybe liturgical exile, but this will finish. And now with the young people, with the young families, young priests, the Lord is preparing the soil for the renewal of the church, also in the
1: liturgy. Your, Your Excellency, how do you know this will finish? What, what on a human, from a human standpoint? Obviously, from a divine standpoint, we have the support of Almighty God. It is His Church, it is our Lord's Church. But how do you know, on a human level, that this time will pass?
2: Yes, it is um, an evident fact, because the Church is in the hands of God. It's not in ours, and the Church is holy, and the Church always rejected heresies, ambiguities, the church always rejected uh, irreverence uh, in liturgy and so on. Or two thousand years. And so the church will continue to be the same because the church is not a human organization, but a divine. But we can know this, that this time will finish because there were also in the history of the church very dark times, as we know, in the 4th century, for example, the Aryan crisis lasted six, 60 or 70 years, a, a tremendous confusion. And then also uh, other crises we which we lived in the 15th, 16th century, and this passed away. And so our crisis is now, since the Council maybe 60 years, will. we don't know how many decades will last, but this will finish. God will intervene slowly. But the, the most efficacious intervention of God will be when God will give us a strong, apostolic-minded, courageous Pope, and then we'll start slowly uh, the true reform of the church in a more visible manner, and this will come.
1: We have to pray and implore God. So it might be worth asking you at this stage, and and do you have something to do with the Society of St. Pius Tenth in the sense that are you acting as a mediator between the church and the society at the moment? I think there was talk uh, on the ground, and we may have seen it over social media.
2: <clears throat> no, I am not a mediator. I was five years ago or six years ago, I was a visitator which, um, whom the Holy See it to visit and to make um, conversations with the representatives of the Society of Pius X. And also beside me, there were three other bishops. So I know uh, the situation of the Society close, more closely. And and I did what I could, and in my task there five years ago, I presented some concrete solutions to give them a canonical regularization. But unfortunately, it was not still yet possible. Uh, But I think that uh, this it's an important reality in the church, which is also helping to keep the true faith, the true liturgy, I think this is a providential work of God also in the church. But of course, every community has some defects, but uh, by time that should be resolved. Uh, The problems are more canonical, not doctrinal. And the Pope gave them already some faculties, we know, confession to assist matrimony. It's already a sign that they are approaching. Uh, a fuller recognition of the church. And I am convinced after this crisis, the Society of Pius X will be recognized by the Holy See in the future. And they will be, uh, and the church will be grateful also to them that they kept the liturgy and the the faith in the difficult times.
1: Your Excellency, it's, it's a time now with traditionis Custodis that Pope Francis has issued. Do you think, and these are thoughts that go through the, my mind and through the mind of many young people and many people who who uh, practice according to the, uh, the traditional liturgy, what we saw in 1967, the mistreatment of Archbishop Lefebvre, and... Proceeding there to a 1988, we see the way and we, we understand his mindset for imploring the state of emergency in the church. He called it a state of emergency. Um, he wasn't somebody who was ignorant. I mean, you you read his reasoning. You understand his reasoning for why he executed that oh. state of emergency. Do you see that the – and and he saw foresaw that, if he was to submit to the uh, Holy see in this matter of emergency, that tradition would have been protected. And now we within the church in full unity with the Holy see enjoy the, the extra and from you yourself as well, who celebrate it. Are we feeding on the legacy of Archbishop Lefebvre, who was courageous enough to stand up during a time of upheaval and does in light of um traditionalist does that somewhat not legitimize i better uh, word my uh, word things uh, correctly but does that yeah let's say legitimize what he may have done uh, in 1988. so i think from the historical point of view
2: it's it's a fact that, thanks to the work of Archbishop Lefebvre, the traditional liturgy was kept in a more, um, in a more wide manner in the church. And this is a contribution of him, which we have to recognize out of justice. He was not the only one, but one of the important figures in this Difficult times when the, the, the old mass was by Paul the sixth really repressed prohibited and this we have to recognize <clears throat> and then um, well the the consecrations of the bishops in 88 then gave then the, the a new movement in the sense of these new ecclesia Dei communities which also, it could spread the traditional liturgy ever more since then <clears throat> and so we see here the divine providence uh, used uh, two instruments archbishop lefebvre and then even after his consecrations got used the new communities which uh, the holy see approved and in any case it was uh, for the general <clears throat> effect a positive even the from the canonical point of view, the consecrations of bishops without papal mandate is uh, <clears throat> not correct uh, in normal times, of course. Uh, but this act of Archbishop Lefebvre, he did and his, he repeated this out of love for the Holy See, for the Pope, not to create a parallel church and simply to give the possibility that the bishops could transmit the priesthood in the traditional way and these other sacraments. Only he did this for love for the Holy See. And I'm convinced that he was honest when he said this and in a good conscience. <clears throat> so um, this is my view that in general, it was uh, had a positive effect for the tradition in the church the work of Archbishop Lefebvre and also then the
1: work of the Ecclesia Dei Communities. So, I mean, really, if you actually read and see that in 1988, he had gone back and forth with the Holy See about the candidates for the Episcopacy. And they they approved it, I believe, on on, on several occasions. And there were, there were talks with Cardinal Ratzinger at the time. And and they basically approved it, but they hadn't mandated it. But for some political reason, this is where some commentators say for some political reasons they wanted to repress and stop it. Uh, But it it seemed that Archbishop had, had, he exercised his intention of the, the state of emergency because it was a fact that not only just with the new liturgy, there was a threat to the faith on an overall level, which in, w- was included through the liturgy, and and, and, and and he did it with the approval of the Holy See. In, in that sense, in the discussions, and up until the last minute, he was invoking uh, John Paul II's approval, and it, it, it didn't seem like there was a bad intention there, but. What can we say about it, whether or not do you think overall that the that the act of Archbishop Lefebvre in nineteen eighty eight was uh, was was something that merited a state of emergency? Well,
2: maybe because and as we look, uh, like maybe it was my opinion, his conviction that it was a state of emergency. In general, yes, it was a state of emergency because the tradition <clears throat> was marginalized in the church, even in 88. <clears throat> and the traditional mass was also not so welcomed. Um, and in this sense, uh, I think he wanted to do these acts of the consecrations to have a more um, guarantee that they could continue the work of tradition without impediments, limitations for the church. I think he was convinced that it was an emergency state. Maybe after some decades, the church will judge these also as an emergency state. I think in globally, since the crisis of the <clears throat> Vatican II, in globally speaking, today until the, the he- height of the Traditionis Custodes, we are continuing in an emergency situation in the church because the tradition, the clarity of tradition in faith and the liturgy is even today not so much welcomed in the church structures in the Vatican also unfortunately so we are leaving uh, the the height of the emergency situation which was already in the 80s uh, there
1: <clears throat> because i mean really if you look at some of the works i love I have a great love for the holy fund some of his work uh, in different aspects with the poor and communities but if you look at the work that's coming out of Rome at the moment and, and a great uh, interview on EWTN and uh, actually uh, mentioned had a discussion about this and you see such sympathy with pro-abort politicians such as Joe Biden, President of the United States, you see no reprimand at all, no, um, uh, mandate, uh, or no mandate or any canonical censure against the German bishops. You see a promotion of idols in in the holy within the Holy See, <clears throat> Amazon Synod, we see such work and, and the negligences everywhere else. But there is such a clear effort to repress the traditional liturgy, which preaches a theology that's clear, that's unambiguous. Do you think? What do you think is the underlying problem? I think many people outside the church, within the church, are looking at the church and, what, and scratching their heads and wondering what's going on with the leadership in the Holy See in some aspects. Or is it? can we point to one person? Could Is this uh, just a mere uh, um, lack of consensus? Or why is there such persecution for the traditional liturgy and no work done in other aspects that need addressing, such as the German bishops, pachamama all the other things that are threatening the faith clearly, and I, I'm sure this contributes to how you mentioned that we are in a, continuing in this state of emergency in the church. What do you think may be the underlying problem uh, that's causing this sort of schizophrenia within the church? Yes, it is
2: very sad, as you as you mentioned that. Uh, the heretics are promoted in the church and all who are desecrating sacraments they are promoted and this is uh, showing the extent of the crisis of the church in which we are living the darkness which reached even rome occupied rome the enemies infiltrated there and <clears throat> uh, but this is not it's, it did not came from yesterday It is a general tendency since the Council, which one could characterize as a relativization of the truth. So this is the tendency. This is all relativization, that all the religions are uh, lastly equal, so we can go all the same way, parallel ways. There is no absolute truth that the Catholic Church is the only one. Built by God and necessary for salvation <clears throat> and the importance and the necessity of preaching the Catholic truth to all non-Catholics. This is our task of the Apostles of Jesus Christ. And this is undermined since the Council. With these wrong inter-religious meetings, for example, with, uh, with the wrong ecumenism saying, This is a relativizing by practice, the Catholic truth, for example. And then in the liturgy, the chaos and anarchy, which is still continuing since the Council. And the Holy See is not so much working to, even before Pope Francis, it was not done enough and in efficient manner. Uh, to correct this. There were, of course there were some good documents which I recognize, but uh, they did not implement this in practice. And, and so uh, led to enter uh, the church hierarchy people in the in the Episcopacy Cardinalate and in Rome who are undermining the faith. So it is relativization It is anthropocentrism. It is to make the church a a naturalistic organization in some way, uh, to stress as an NGO organization, to take care only of the temporal, of the natural, of the body, and and, uh, forgetting the eternity, the eternal life and, and the grace. This is the problem which I see beneath all these tendencies. And now with Pope Francis, we have only the culmination of this. But we have to uh, witness our faith, nevertheless, every one of us.
1: Exactly. Let's now touch a little bit on the actual as custodius. My concern, and this is why, once this was released, I really thought of the work that Archbishop Lefebvre carried out and it, it built a little bit more legitimacy in my mind and in the mind of so many people what he did to, as, as a separate structure away, maybe not in canonical regularity, but my concern from this is Article 6 and 7 that the Institutes of uh, or the, the, um, the Societies of Apostolic Life, erected by the Pontifical Commission Ecclesia Dei 4 under the competence of the Congregation for Institutes of Consecrated Life and Societies for Apostolic Life. And in Article 7, the Congregation for Divine Worship and Discipline of the Sacraments and the Congregation for Institutes of Consecrated Life and Society of Apostolic Life. This is the same society that, that dealt with the Franciscans of the Immaculate so I'm looking at the, 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 the fruits of being de- dealt with um, by this institute and perhaps perhaps removing Ecclesia Day and putting in a different department within the Vatican may subject the 1962 missile to assaults uh, against tradition, perhaps, for instance, enforcing communion on the hand, altar girls, things, again, which undermine the faith, which uh, perhaps may legitimise what, what happened in 1988. But what's your thought on this? And what would we, how should we react as practising faithful in communion with the Holy See? Mm-hmm. I don't know. I'm speechless. I don't know where to start. If this was a possibility where this could be an opportunity to undermine the societies of, of Ecclesia Day, and we have evidence here in... Uh, in uh, Article 3, Section 6, to take care not to legitimise any new groups. It seems like there's an attempt to extinguish any tradition within the church. I mean, it's evidently very clear. Um, So what do we do, Your Excellency, in in that matter of Article 6 and 7 uh, being used by those congregations to perhaps have a nudge against tradition, the actual liturgy itself, and make reforms and uh, assault tradition? Well, we don't know what will come.
2: <clears throat> it could be that, as you mentioned, uh, these communities of Ex Ecclesia Dei, they will be forced to introduce some elements of the Novus Ordo or even to celebrate <clears throat> periodically the Novus Ordo. I don't know, but it could be. But in this case, if this will come, I think they have to protest because this will destroy their identity and their mission, which the church gave them in 88 and and, and, and so on. So they have to say, we cannot do this. It's against our identity. It's against our contribution for the Holy Mother Church we will continue our identity. With all respect for the Pope, for the bishops, uh, I think this should be the attitude. And uh, as you mentioned, the, the drastic uh, measures of, of the traditionalist custodes are expressed in the accompanying letter that this should finish and all should return to the novus order. The Pope Francis says this. It's only a, a question of time, but we have to uh, have confidence in the providence of God, all these communities, that God will intervene and help them when the situation will be so critically. God will show them a new way, I hope, and then maybe we'll be, God will intervene in Rome to give us a new leadership, who at least is more open to tradition. So Pope Francis is not eternal. We have to take in mind. God will give us other pastors and shepherds. We have to pray, but rest, uh, keep fidelity to your identity. This will be my message to these uh, communities of Ex Ecclesia day.
1: It seems a, a thought which runs through my mind, uh, Your Excellency, is perhaps the the question of, uh, within ecclesiology, the, the question of obedience to authority. To what extent, I, I know the, these questions sound uh, very rebellious in their very nature, but I'm very interested on a theological level to look into the, the aspects of, of to where, to what extent does, Obedience um, uh, have a domain when the faith is being threatened in certain situations, either by the pope or a bishop. Could we argue as as uh, as the Society of Saint Pius X argues that we we not only have, and Saint Thomas Aquinas himself, uh, that we not only have an uh, um, a duty uh, to to we not only have the sorry the right. To disobey, uh, but an obligation to disobey. Perhaps when can when's the, where's the sweet spot where we can say, look, this is threatening the faith. This is not in the interest of promoting the Catholic faith. Being the Pope's job, we could defy this and still be in union with the Holy See. Where's the pivotal spot? Because uh, I'm not looking. I think many people aren't looking to set to put themselves against the Holy See, but we're looking first and foremost to protect the faith that will bring us salvation and it's the role of the Holy See to defend and protect the faith and with every bishop. But where can where's the sweet spot where you can put your foot down and say, Look, we're not going to obey. This doesn't count, or or how should we be thinking about it? You can uh, how would you explain it to us who have that concern? Obedience. It's not uh, an aim
2: for itself a finality obedience is only a a means an instrument because absolute obedience is only to god himself but the pope and the bishops are not god they are only representatives of god and if they by their acts undermine the truth of the faith and the liturgy in this case we cannot obey because if we would obey we, we also would participate in the um, destruction or in the diminishing of the clarity of the faith. In this case, our it would be a wrong, false obedience. So, uh, therefore, the obedience has an aim to contribute to the promotion of the faith and the liturgy and the, and the commandments of God And so, and therefore, uh, if the Pope and the bishops are commanding other issues, let let us say, simply administrative decisions, then we obey, of course. Uh, But if they undermine the the truth, the clarity, the, the, uh, the integrity of the faith in the liturgy, then we cannot follow, and we will say to them, we love you, we respect you, we pray for you. And because of the love of the Catholic Church and the honor of the Holy See, we will in this concrete case not obey, uh, but we will obey to all the Popes and the, and, and the Mother Church of 2000 years. And we are doing our contribution for the Holy See, as the Archbishop Lefebvre did. It would it, it is an extreme rare situation. as Saint. Athanasius you know in the fourth century he disobeyed the Pope uh, because he refused to make peace with the heretical bishops. He avoided any, <clears throat> any suspicion of um, ambiguity in doctrine and therefore but the Pope commanded him and he disobeyed. And so the Pope Liberius excommunicated St. Athanasius uh, because of disobedience. But St. Athanasius was one of the greatest saints and defenders of the church. Because of his disobedience to Pope Liberius, he gave a public witness to the church. And so we have uh, rare examples, but they are. But I, could, I would say, we have those who disobey uh, a command of, uh, of the hierarchy, uh, should do this with much faith, love, respect for, the, for these authorities, and without any spirit of separation or sectarian, and live this difficult trial out of love for the same superiors whom they cannot obey concretely in this concrete case only okay.
1: they can obey them in other that cases needs, a very special discernment and it's not that every one of us can look at that situation and say oh i'll disobey my bishop it, it needs to be studied and looked at you know it's uh, for those listening here today but your excellency uh, we have to wrap up the show here um what would you give as words of encouragement for us young people, many other people, and the growing traditional movement? We believe in the next 10 years, the most of, a lot of what will be left of the church, I think, I believe, this is my personal theory, will only be those in the West who practice the traditional uh, Latin mass. In the East, obviously, is a different situation, but those in the West, I believe a large, large portion will be those who practice the extra reform, as it is the case now. But what are your words of encouragement to get through this time with tradition Custodes, with all res- respect to the Holy Father, um, during a difficult time like this? I think for you, my dear
2: young people and young families, God calls you in this difficult time and God gives you a special mission. It's a privilege. To, to be witness of the faith in difficult times, in darkness, inside the church. Do this with joy, with conviction. Transmit, hand over the purity of the Catholic faith in the catechisms, in the old catechisms which, which you have. You can read and continue your love for the traditional Mass. Spread this even uh, in every possible manner and so you will be the contributors with, with all humility and simplicity but be courageous witnesses and live your faith with joy in
1: community with the others. Thank you very much, Your Excellency. It was, it was an absolute honor to have you here on the Catholic Toolbox show and uh, we'll definitely have you again in the future. Thank
2: you. I give you a blessing and to all your listeners and viewers. <clears throat> Dominus vobiscum. Et, et benedictio Dei Omnipotentis Patris et Fili et Spiritus Sancti descendat Super Vos et Maniat Semper.
1: Amen. Thank you very much for tuning in to of Practical Catholicism on the Catholic Toolbox Show uh, don't forget you can actually uh, download the podcast and we're calling on everybody to go to our website on www.dicathletoolboxshow.com and uh, to sign up to our newsletter list uh, for the weekly. So go to our website and sign up there and don't forget to follow us on YouTube where you can rewatch this uh, or the podcast wherever you uh, wish. So thank you for tuning in this week. I'm your host and founder, George Manassa. Until next week, God bless. Take care and take action.
0: In this era of grave spiritual crisis, it is not enough to simply know about your Catholic faith. That is why we need a Catholic toolbox to equip us with the practical skills necessary to live our Catholic faith to reach our ultimate goal, which is heaven for all eternity. Do not merely listen to the word, and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Join us every Tuesday night at 8pm for the Catholic Toolbox, as we hand you the tools to go forth, live the faith, and change our modern world today. Live on The Voice of Charity.